We are continuing our sermon series through Advent, and uh, what we have done in the past couple of weeks is we've, we've really looked at this truth of Emmanuel, that is the saying that God is with us. And what we did is we, we unpackaged the first truth of Emmanuel, that Jesus being God with us, Jesus coming down to earth, humbling himself, right, leaving heaven, uh, the comfort of heaven, uh, leaving the perfect unity of being uh, with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, and coming to earth, taking on flesh and bone and skin and blood and uh, uh, giving himself over to all the the, the, the things of this world that we experience, the same kind of things. And so we, we unpackage, first of all, the truth that Jesus was fully human, right? That he understood everything that we understand. He's not a kind of savior who floats around the world, never touching the ground, never getting his hands dirty. He, he was the kind of savior who experienced every kind of hurt, every kind of joy, uh, every, every temptation, uh, hunger at times, frustration at times. And he was a savior who understands us and our humanity, right? And, and that causes us to be able to say, thank you, Jesus, that you weren't a savior who was just kind of out there who just kind of looked from a distance, or we, we said he wasn't the kind of savior who came down like Thor, which most of us would experience or expect a, if a god were to come down, it'd be like Thor, who, remind who you are again if you've seen him, I'm the god of thunder, right? And, and like lightning in his eyes, and we all go, whoa, he's god, and he's like swinging his hammer, and he's taking out everybody. No, we, we had a savior who came down, and he was human, just like us. But the other side of that truth is that Jesus wasn't just fully human. If he was only just fully human, no way that he could rescue us from our sins, right? The, you see, the, 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 the outworking of our sin demands justice. God is perfect and he's holy. God the Father, and, and in his holiness, that there is a sacrifice that's given to him for our sins, and if Jesus were to die on the cross for our sins, being fully human only, the wrath of God against our sin and the justification that was needed to appease the payment needed for our sin, Jesus could have never paid for unless he was fully God. And so while Jesus was fully human, he's fully God, and not only did he pay for our sins, not only did he satisfy the wrath of God against our sins, he was able to overcome our sins in every aspect of it. Jesus experienced the temptation, but he wasn't given to temptation on our behalf. And so therefore, you and I, sitting here this morning, are not saying, well, I hope our salvation is secure. If I put, up, if I put my hope and my faith in Jesus, I hope somehow it really did its trick, did its work, that God looked at it and was like, okay, yeah, that's enough. No, we know with assurance security because Jesus was fully God, that him as God surrendering his life unto death on the cross, we know that our sins are completely paid for. Not only are our sins completely paid for, but we know that we can live a victorious life as Christians. We know that God hears us. We know that Jesus hears us when we pray to him. We know that he listens, that right now he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, God the Father, interceding for us. Right now, that's actually taking place. And still with the nail-scarred hands and feet and pierced side and all those things representing the truth, the sin that he made, 
the shame that he carried, the weight that he carried for us is eternal and will never be expunged for us. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, all of that being said, the fact that Jesus is fully human, he's fully God, I want us to look at some scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. This is a well-read portion of scripture during this time of the year. If you've noticed, we've read in John's gospel, we've read in Matthew's, Matthew's gospel. Uh, but now, is this cutting in and out? All right. Should I switch to the handheld thing? Is that better? Is this distracting? Okay, thanks. One honest person. Check one, two. Is that better? Okay, at least it won't cut in and out. So we, we've looked at John's gospel. Uh, we looked at Matthew's gospel. And, uh, you know, both of those have their emphasis. And this morning we're going to look at Luke's gospel. And if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 2. Before we get there, what I want to just tell you is a little story about a, a man named John Wesley. If you don't know who John Wesley was, uh, he is the founder of Methodism. And uh, if you've driven by churches in cities and you've seen a Methodist church, that is out of the tradition from a man named John Wesley. And the, this is what John Wesley said, his last recorded words before he died. He said, the best of all is God with us. The best of all is God with us. See, John Wesley had this understanding, he had this truth that impacted his life so much that on his dying day, the last recorded thing he said was this truth of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And my encouragement to us, for those of us who say we're Christians this morning, my encouragement for you is not to be your only dying words to be the truth of God, Emmanuel, but we live our lives out of this truth that God is with us, that Jesus is Emmanuel. And we're going to unpackage how this might look and how this might help us understand this truth. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, we're going to read uh, verses 8 through 20. We're going to read some chunky portions of Scripture here this morning, so try to stick with us. This is what the Word of the Lord says. So Jesus has just been born in a filthy, stinking manger with sheep and goats and wise men and all of the like. And uh, it says this, And in the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I know some of you guys are already going to Charlie Brown. Linus is explaining to Charlie what's happening. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Could you imagine that? All of a sudden, like one angel comes to you, you're on this shepherd, and you're like, ah! right? You're freaking out. And then all of a sudden, he says this one thing, and then, boom. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He's like freaking out, right? You don't have to turn me down, Tim. It's all right. I can turn <laughs> This is what the heavenly hosts are saying. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over there, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your announcement. Thank you that this scripture, Luke chapter 2, the truth of that, the implications are still alive, are still powerful, are still meaningful, are still life-shaping and changing and transforming for us today. In this very moment right now, let the implications of your announcement, God with us, let the implications of that penetrate our hearts, bring life and freedom for us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. What I want to do is take this portion of Scripture and and give us some things that I think will be helpful for us um, as we, you know, it's easy to focus on Emmanuel during this time of the year, right? That's, That's what we should be doing. Probably after Wednesday, if you've already seen Star Wars or you've seen some movies, you've eaten all your good food, whatever it is, kind of it wears off. But my hope for us this morning, my encouragement to you is don't allow Christmas message to become a Christmas message only. The Christmas message is meant to propel us, it's meant to remind us, it's meant to empower us to live the Christmas life, right? What's the Christmas life? The Christmas life is that Christ came and set us free. And so I want us to look at some of these truths this morning. So the first thing that I think is helpful to understand in context of how these angels appear and how Jesus comes and all these things is we have to know that before Jesus comes on the scene, God's presence was absolutely always, every time, terrifying. Uh, if, you, if you want to, turn with me to Exodus, and, and I'm just going to prove to you what I mean by this. Um, the, the, the children of Israel have exodused, that's a word, have left uh, Egypt. God has set them free. There's, there's been signs and wonders. They've seen the ten plagues, and now they're, they're kind of camped out in the wilderness And God is making himself known to Israel. And this is kind of some of the description. Now, it's a chunky portion of Scripture, but I want to read this whole thing to give you guys a picture of how we sometimes, even still today, understand God. And I think rightly so. But Jesus helps us give us a fuller picture. And this is what Exodus 19, starting in verse 10, says. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. It already sounds a little like, ooh, what's going to happen? For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. I mean, already, it's already different how 
we understand Christianity today, right? Most pastors and preachers, worship leaders, they call us and say, come, experience God's presence, right? Come near to God. And this is such the opposite here. Take care not to go to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the, the mountain shall be what? Put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. I guess it would be with a bow and arrow. I don't know if they had guns back then. I don't think they did. Whether beast or man, I mean, even your dog. We just got a dog. We just, oh my. <laughs> just pray for me, okay? He's sweet. But your animal, even if you somehow accidentally let your animal wander over here, what happens? He's dead. Whether, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go. Look, this is funny. Do not go near a woman. Ugh. Okay. It meant they were just to abstain from, from sex during this time. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. It's like, no way, are you kidding me? You're going to bring me out to meet this guy? He's going to kill me? The ground is shaking. We are freaked out. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended out in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the, the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in what? Thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. That's one brave dude. Lord, I mean, we can continue reading. We're going to stop there. You get the picture of what is happening here for Israel. And if you are saying to a group of people, come and understand who God is, they would say, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Anytime that God appears to us, it's always in this sense of we are freaked completely out. He is absolutely terrifying. He is absolutely so different and so other than me. He is so big and he seems so far off. When he comes, the earth shakes. The, the mountain is filled with smoke and fire and it feels like it's just vibrating with this low frequency bass. You, get, you ever watch a movie and it's like, you know the bad guys come and it's like, boo -doo, boo -boo. it's like Darth Vader moment here, okay? Every time that God would speak or encounter his people, people were terrified. Until what? Until Jesus comes on the scene. Until Jesus comes and reveals that God is not just only this omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, just kind of a distant God who can command, and if you look on him, you would die. I mean, think of how Moses often would seem to meet intimately with God, but God even tell him, you cannot look at my face. I'll let you just look at the back of me and hide yourself in a rock, in the cleft of a rock, 
hide yourself because if you look on my face, you shall surely die. And even Moses, just look, gazing on the back of God, he had to cover his face because it glowed. His face glowed, the Bible says, when he would come down after meeting with God. And in order for people to be able to kind of figure out, he had to cover it and veil himself because of the glory and the greatness and the terrifying nature of who God is. And I think, friends, when we understand the beauty of Jesus coming, being Emmanuel, God with us, if Moses were standing here right now and he were able to read Scripture from Luke chapter 2 about angels revealing the Emmanuelness, the withness of who God is with us now, he would say, what are you doing? Do you not understand the privilege that you live in? See, every time I met with God, it was this really distant kind of relationship. Yes, we spoke to each other, but it was, if I dared get near to him, I would turn into ash and so would everyone else. You have such the privilege. You have such the opportunity. You who call yourself Christians, you who call yourselves disciples of God, who followers of Christ, you have witnessed God with you and no longer do you have to be turned away and be scared to be burned up in ash. You can come directly to him. You have such a privilege. I think Moses would stand there and say, you guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? When we sing these songs, Sometimes we sing there and go, I will build my life. Can we sing this last week? I think we did sing this last week. All right, I guess we're going to sing it again. There's no other name but Jesus. Yeah, I know, I know, I get all that. I think Moses would go, you're singing, your heart, what you're feeling, it's not matching up. And my encouragement to us, I'm saying this to myself, Sometimes it becomes old hat. Yeah, Jesus came down. Yeah, God became flesh. Yeah, I get it. He's with us. Yeah, I live in that privilege of it today. Yeah, it's cool. No, the beauty of it is God is with us. God made a way. He, he, he bridged this chasm. He bridged this gap that we could never do on our own. And when he said, no, I'm too holy. I'm too big. I'm too omnipotent. You can never get close to me. I'm going to send my son who's going to make it so that we can meet face to face. What a beautiful truth that we live in. Don't count it for granted. The other truth is this. It's Jesus' presence that changes you. It's not religion. It's Okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> it's Jesus' presence that changes us. It's not religion. Let me, let me see. Let, let, I mean, Luke helps us again. Look at verses 16 through 20. Speaking of this interaction, and the shepherds, they went with haste. That means really quick, as fast as they could. They just did it without thinking. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them. So basically, the angels come and say this, and then they were like, we got to tell everybody else about this, right? Concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There's like this awe and wonder. It's like, what? What just happened to be? It'd be like Moses coming to us and say, hey guys, you understand this privilege? And we go, what privilege are you talking about? And we, he's like, because before I used to have to like turn my eyes away and now you get to see him face to face. You understand? And we go, whoa, that's amazing. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And it says this in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds had an encounter with God, right? No doubt about it. See, what the shepherds didn't do, here's the beauty of what was happening here at this moment. The shepherds weren't um, doing anything spiritual at the moment. They weren't being very religious shepherds. They weren't, see, what we would try to tell ourselves is the reason why the angels came to these shepherds is because they were really good shepherds, moral shepherds. They separated themselves from the rest of the shepherds. They didn't smoke or chew or hang out with girls who do. Is that the saying? They were really good shepherds. And so because of them being really good shepherds, that's why the angels appeared to this group of shepherds. See, the Bible doesn't say that. But what we try to do is turn our faith into that and say, if I do this, this, and this, then God will encounter me. Then God will, I'll have an experience with God. Then I will earn somehow, maybe an angel coming down and speaking to him. I will earn somehow, maybe God revealing himself to me in some kind of truth that doesn't normally happen in my life. None of that happened here. Hey, all the shepherds were doing were hanging out with their stinky sheep. They did not conjure, they didn't concentrate, they weren't like doing all these religious kind of things to try to get God's attention. That's what you do when you try to get God's attention. Hey! All they were doing is shepherding. And God comes, and you know what the result of God's presence on these shepherds is? Their lives are transformed and changed. You know how you know your life is transformed and changed? Luke chapter 2. I mean, there's, there's a whole sermon in here. If you're a good pastor, you say, man, there's three points here. The first one is they went and they told others. You see that right away. The angels come and they say this, and then they go, let's go tell everybody what we just saw. Why do people say something and tell everybody something that they just saw that's amazing? Why? Because they've been transformed. Why? Because it's so it's such good news, they can't keep it to themselves. That's a litmus for us who call ourselves Christians if we're saying we're living in this revelation of Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, do we tell other people? Or is it like, yeah, it's good news, but I'm afraid to tell people good news. I mean, you've heard me tell the story about the guy who won the lottery. He's working in a sweatshop. I don't know what he's doing. He's prancing, like, he's doing the same thing over. The piece of metal comes, and his wife tells him, we won the lottery. What does he do? He tells everybody in the whole, uh, the whole building, he's like, I just won the lottery, right? He tells his boss, see ya. He doesn't say see ya. He said some other words. He runs out. Why? Because he thinks the best thing has just happened to him. He couldn't contain it. And for us, we know we're living in a life transformed when we just can't help but tell other people about it. The other thing that happens is you see that they, they glorify God. They live their lives as worship to God. They go glorifying. They go praising. They go saying about who God is. These, these angels just came to me. You're not going to believe this. But these angels just appeared out of nowhere. They were singing, and you should have heard the song. You should have heard the song. It was like, ah. it was like, it was like the pads when the, you hear that sound. It was like that, but with millions of voices. And it was, the sky was like pitch black, but then all of a sudden it just lit up bright. And I, 
I couldn't just, I was terrified, but then there was like this, this warmth in my heart, and I just started shedding a tear because I've never experienced the presence of God like that in an amazing way. It, I mean, I, don't, I didn't really have to do anything. I was just standing there, and God came, and he broke into my life, and it's so beautiful, and I want to tell you about it, and let me, let me explain to you how this has like, excited me. Let me explain to you, and now what I want to do is I want to go living my life, and I want to glorify, and I want to praise God because I had this moment with him. See, that's what happens when God breaks into our world. And this is not said to put guilt because I stand here myself this morning and saying, is this true of me? But this is how we, these are questions we need to ask ourselves. Am I telling people about what Jesus has done? Am I not because either I'm ashamed or it really doesn't seem that great to me or the beauty of that is worn off, the luster of it? Am I praising God? Am I going glorifying him because I'm being been radically transformed? Or am I living a Christian life that tries to do all the religious good things and trying to be satisfied in those? You can't do both, friends. This morning, you're either someone who's been encountered by the presence of God or you're somebody who's living in a religious understanding of your faith. Let me tell you, the better one is living in an encountered presence with God. So much better than trying to make your own faith, trying to make your own way, trying to get God's attention, trying to do all these good things so somehow good things will come your way. That's every other religion in the world. Every other religion says, do this so God will be happy with you. Our faith, Christianity says, God's happy with you. So now you can be free to do this. Such a different thing. You guys doing okay? You know, I mean, another example of this is a guy named Martin Luther. He's the reason why we're, we're, we call ourselves Protestants this morning. Martin Luther, he was super, super religious before he became a Christian. That's possible. See, he... He was given the task of teaching, and he even was uh, teaching through the book of Romans, which is all about the gospel. He would, he, would, he would study, he would do commentaries, he was teaching all of these things. He was being very religious. He would pray. He would, he would give his money to the church. He was all the religious things that you could think of. And it wasn't until he came to Romans chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, where it talks about, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, first, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It talks about this. It was, he said, in a moment, it was like as if paradise was open to me, and all of a sudden, I understood that God was with me. See, before he was trying to do all these religious things, and now in this moment, him just going on his way, God has an encounter with Martin Luther and we this morning are able to say we are justified not by our works, but by grace alone because of the revelation that Martin Luther gave. Isn't that beautiful? The last one here is this. The presence of Jesus is not just with us, but it's with us this morning. Now here is the beauty of Luke chapter 2. We're going to end with this. I don't know if it's dawned on you. God chooses to reveal himself to shepherds. If, if you've been in like any of these Christmas services where a pastor's talking about why this is so, let me, 
repackage, unpackage this for us this morning. Let me retell us why this is such a profound truth. Because shepherds were the outcasts of society. We like to think of shepherds as little precious moment figurines, right? Uh, I just walked with me and Judah were out last night walking our dog. And uh, we came by a house and they had a precious moments, Mary and a precious moments, Mary, uh, Joseph and a precious moments, little shepherds. And these shepherds, like there's no dirt on them. They're all like little rosy cheek. They look like um, it's a small world, little children, if you don't know what precious moments are. And everything's pristine, and everything looks handcrafted, and everything looks artisaned to be all super cute, right? But the reality of these shepherds is shepherds were the outcasts of society. Shepherds were the people that society didn't trust at all. Shepherds were actually had a reputation of being cheaters. What they would actually do a lot of times is they would, they would steal other, other uh, people's sheep, other, other owner's sheep. They would brand them with their own. They would try to resell them back to the people that they stole them from. They had a terrible reputation. The fact that God comes and he reveals himself to some of the lowest outcasted society members should really encourage us. Because the beauty of that is the truth is that none of us deserve God's presence. None of us deserve God coming and revealing himself to us. And the reality is, spiritually, all of us here this morning were shepherds, so to speak, at one time. And God came and he reveals himself, not to the big kings, not to the ones who are sitting in temples and castles and had a bunch of servants waiting on them and who smelled beautiful. No, God comes with the angels and his presence and reveals the glory of who he is to lowly, outcast, irrepute shepherds. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like, take that, religion. Take that, other religions. And I'm proud to be a shepherd. Because if I wasn't, see, uh, Tim Keller said this about this truth. All you need is nothing. But most of us don't have nothing. The shepherds have nothing. And that's all that was required for God to come. What we do often, um, Marianne one time, when we were living in Texas, she got a, uh, not a speeding ticket, she got a ticket for the cops that she didn't come to a full and complete stop at a stop sign, right? So we lived in this really like um, Mayberry kind of town. It was like Norman Rockwell, and they, it was really cool because the kids um, from our house would be able to either ride their bikes or walk to their school because their school was in our neighborhood. And our neighborhood was very family friendly. They had like signs up everywhere, like saying, don't drive a certain speed. And there would be cops posted at this one intersection in our neighborhood where the school and our neighborhood met. And it was like this four, four little place. And then the cop would station himself there every morning and every afternoon as kids were going to school and as kids were getting out of school, just to make sure they were safe. You know, it was really great, right? We loved that. Well, one day, Marianne's dropping off our kids because I guess they were running late or whatever the deal was. And this police officer thought Marianne didn't come to a full and complete spot, stop. So Marianne's kind of, you know, 
You ever feel in, indignant when you get a ticket? You know how you feel, right? Don't lie. You know how that feels. The cop, maybe you never got a ticket. I don't know. The cop comes over and, and he's kind of got a little bit of attitude. And Marianne probably had a little bit of attitude too. I don't know. Where did you? Not at all. Of course not. And he's like, well, you could fight it in court. And she's like, I will fight it in court, right? So what does Marianne do? She goes to court. She brings all of this information with her. I mean, she, she's like lawyered up. I mean, this is a little town, right? She has all this information. She was her own lawyer. She probably had charts and pie graphs. And she starts off by saying, I think there was a jury. And she's just like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I just want you to know that, you know, I'm not upset at this police officer. We really appreciate the officer and et cetera, et cetera. And she won, by the way. So good job, babe. And she won her case. But see, so, so many times we come to God like this. We come to God full of all these charts and, and, and all these, this research, and I have the Pew data, and I have all this explaining to God why I should be accepted. See, God, I've done this and I've done this. You owe me at least this. It's, I'm not going to lie to you guys. This year's been a tough year for us. We... I mean, for the Monahans, are we doing better than we deserve? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, we've taken some punches. There, this been your, I, I was just telling God the other day. On, I'm just telling you how my conversations go. I was like, God, I need a flipping win. I just, I need a win. What ends up happening like the next week? Hey, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's not a win, God. <laughs> and in my heart, I'm like, God, it's, it's Christmas time. I need a win. And sometimes I come to God, and I have this attitude like, you know what? I've suffered a lot. Uh, this, I mean, you know, you've seen it. This, this, and this hasn't happened. And it's actually negative. So, I'm waiting. You owe me. As if somehow, God owes me anything. The shepherds had nothing. Who does God reveal himself to? The lowest. You know what the beautiful thing about this is? When God comes to the lowest, it causes the lowest to look up. The, shepherd, the shepherds didn't receive this announcement by an angel just kind of come in and be like, hey, what's up? We're on the same level here. Hey, how you doing? You hungry? I got some food. Okay, see you later. Just wanted to tell you about Jesus. <sighs> no, he comes in glory, hosts singing to glory to God in the highest. The shepherds, if they want to see, they have to look up. And for you and I this morning, we're ground level. That's where we live. But God in his glory, when he speaks, and when we have an encounter with God, it should cause us to lift our eyes, to look back into the greatness of who God is, and say, thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel. Thank you, God, that you would come to somebody lowly like me, undeserving, who would speak to me. Yes, I have nothing to give back in return, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And whether that could be me telling others, whether that's me rejoicing, whether that's me praising, that's glorifying you, God, I'll give it back to you. But I lift my eyes up 
Marianne encouraged me a couple weeks ago. She said, babe, I've just been reading through Daniel. And there's a portion of scripture there where Nebuchadnezzar, God, God transforms Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a moment where Nebuchadnezzar says something. He said, when I looked up back to God, my sanity returned to me. When I set my eyes back on God, my sanity came back to me. And friends, during this holiday season, the the easy thing to do is to start looking down, look at our circumstances. Who's going to come to this? This person's not going to be here. This person's going to be doing this. Oh, this person did this to me. Look at my bank account right now. I wish I could do this. I wish I could give my kids more. Right now, this is really hard. I had a loved one who's passing away. I have all the blah, 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 and all. And God's saying, hey, 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 look. Look up. Remember, Emmanuel. Look, look. Jesus, God is with us. Keep your eyes gazed on him. Experience his presence. Encounter the one who wants to encounter you. Bible says that when we draw close to God, he draws close to us. Isn't that awesome? I love that truth. Let's stand this morning.